0: Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastia Cruel Dubai. Delighted to welcome, as my first guest, a man who has been Chief Executive of the Racehorse Association since 2016. Prior to which, he worked in the city as a global account manager. He was a bloodstock insurance broker. He had been, in his youth, relative youth, I should say, uh, a pupil assistant to the legendary Major Dick Hearn and Richard Hannon. And he now holds one of the most important jobs in racing, particularly in this pivotal week for the funding of the sport. He has a huge membership of around 8,000 owners to whom he has to answer all queries. And I would imagine this week he has the biggest intray of just about anybody in the sport. He is, of course, Charlie Liverton. Charlie, good morning. Good morning, Nick. Uh, I dare say you must be pretty exhausted after what's been a pretty demanding week for all horsemen and anyone involved in this prize money debate that rolls on and on. Absolutely, Nick. Um, it has been a very busy week. Um,
1: it's been a very constructive week um, and we've had a lot of correspondence from our members. It started off really um, back, uh, back earlier this year um, when Arc made that initial announcement just before Christmas. And that really was the start of, of, of the problems that we,
0: that we see today culminating in the, in the strikes effectively. And that was the initial announcement that they would not supply the extra funding to go on top of the minimum value that would trigger an unlocking of the levy board money that would bolster class four, five and six races prize money. So they were, they were unprepared to do that. And their reasoning for not being prepared to do that, as we've heard from Martin Crudus, is because of shop closures. Owing to the fixed odds betting terminal legislation, and that meant they felt that their media rights payments were not going to be sufficient to sustain those contributions. That's that's just Absolutely. about the bones of it, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, Nick. And I, and I think the timing of the message was was difficult for Horsemen to take as well, given that we'd spent in the region of two hundred and fifty to three hundred million pounds at the yearling sales and horses in training sales to fill boxes in order that we could race our horses in their fixture list for them to derive that income through their media rights deals. So the timing of the message was very difficult for Stomach. But I think if we take it back a step to the other issue we have here, is that ARK has got one deal with their media rights that sees a direct impact every time a shop closes, effectively, is what we're told. You then have another deal where with, with another racecourse group. Racecourse media group. Racecourse media group whereby there's a buffer zone, we understand, or actually the first 500,000 shops that close doesn't have any material impact. And then you have a third media contract um, whereby they get less media rights income, but there's no impact whatsoever. So you've got this situation where you've got three different media rights contracts going on amongst racecourses that will impact them all
0: at different times, Sorry, So you said the first five hundred thousand shops. I'm guessing. Sorry, like the first five hundred First
1: fi- five hundred or thousand shops. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the details of the of the of the contracts are, and that again is one of the critical points that Horsemen are really struggling with: the clarity around what those contracts are, and the level of trust now around what the actual income is that's being delivered. Um is on very stony ground. And yes, the members that I've spoken to, and I've spoken to well over 100 members in the past week or 10 days about this, they are so angry at the way in which they feel that they've been treated over the past few years. And this is is but a mere culmination of that frustration. And ultimately for some, it is the straw that has broken the camel's back. And we are seeing owners saying as a direct consequence of this that they will not be retaining the
0: horses in training going forward that they thought they would be. Take this right down to basics. Why are owners entitled to prize money at a certain level? This is, this is a Absolutely. hobby. If, of, of
1: course it's a hobby, Nick. Absolutely it is. But I think it's a hobby for horsemen, um, but a money-making machine over here. And what we're asking for... Are two things, really. One is a, a, a joint venture that is true to its word, where there is transparency and clarity around that, that, that joint venture. But secondly, prize money isn't just for owners. It is what feeds the industry. The stable staff, the jockeys, the trainers all get paid through that prize money mechanism. Now, if we want to have that discussion around whether prize money and the prize money mechanism is the right one, Today, going forward,
0: we're all ears. But isn't prize money essentially cream on top? Isn't what sustains the industry essentially training fees and betting revenue? So training fees from owners to trainers, that pays stable staff. Betting revenue is what essentially funds the industry. Absolutely. But if we're paying somewhere in the region of 700 to £750
1: million a year so that another group of individuals can take the media rights and every other income stream that is derived from staging a race meeting, um, then that's that's simply not acceptable. More pertinently, yes, racing is fun, and it is meant to be an experience, and it is meant to be enjoyable. But the two major reasons why owners leave the sport is because of prize money, firstly, and because of the race day experience, secondly. That rounded experience is what's going to retain your owners. And the minute owners feel that they're not getting fair reward for the product that they're taking to the race course, then you will see what you've seen over the last 10 years, which is a reduction in horses of training of about 1,000.
0: So what, fundamentally for you, has ARC done wrong, if anything? How could Martin Crudders and his team have played this any differently, to your satisfaction, given the backdrop of the shop yeah. closures. So we've been talking about the implication of the FOBTI
1: decision um, in industry meetings for about the last 18 months since it got raised onto government's agenda and there was a lot of discussion around was it going to hit 30 quid was it going to hit two quid and the discussions um, were, were completely understood by, by the horsemen as to the the stark reality of the headwinds that were going to approaching were government going to make that decision? For me, what ARC did was, was came out with a message without helping horsemen send that message out that actually we've got a racecourse group here whose media rights contract is such that the
0: implication is here and now. It's not down the line. You've so, got, so you feel they didn't give people fair warning of their intention? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Now, you're right. Now, one of the other things that horsemen have been hugely frustrated with in the ROA 8 and my, uh, certainly the last three years since I've been in the role is is raising minimum values. And race courses simply have not risen minimum values. And it's all, all race courses across the board. All race courses across the board. Absolutely all race courses across the board. And Arc's situation just happens to be first before the others are coming down the line. So let's not think that what's happening today isn't going to happen further down the line because we're in some pretty strong headwinds and that's been un- under no illusion about that. But the um, the minimum values piece, I think, is really, really important. We always talk about minimum values. We never talk about maximum values and how many races are, are run at maximum values. And there are some race courses that do. Newton Abbott is a very good example where actually majority of their races are run at maximum value. So the way in which we put more money into that middle and lower tier in order to help the retention of owners and get more money back into grassroots racing was through the appearance money scheme. Now the appearance money scheme did not see minimum values go up. It saw the race values go up and they are two fundamentally different things. And so you still have the conversations I've won this race in 2018, 2019, and it's 2,800 to the winner. I won it 15 years ago, and it was 2,800 quid. And racecourses have to work with horsemen now to understand that the perception out there that the, the prize fund has gone up, and it really has, to 160 million last year in total, but minimum values have stayed the
0: same, and we simply cannot carry on with that model. So how do you restructure the model? The last week we've seen any number of trainers in particular, but some owners say this yeah. is not acceptable this is an unsustainable situation but nobody has offered a cohesive solution to restructuring no. the model. And so that, this is your yeah, opportunity no, And I to will do say
1: so. that these discussions have been going on and, and are going on and we, we started these um, before the new year actually, and, and it was hoped that we were going to be able to sit down as an industry in early January and, and, and start that, start those, but sadly that didn't, um, those didn't take place. Um, but there is, a, there is a process that is undergoing through the fixtures and funding process and at a higher level that these kinds of conversations are taking place. The crux of the reality is, is that the racecourses own the fixture mm-hmm. list. So anything that we think is a really good idea that will enhance the owners' experience. That will, and, and by that I mean through the prize money mechanism and the distribution—not just the total pot, but how it's distributed—to the racecourse experience itself, has to come with the blessing of the racecourses. And we need we need racecourses to recognise that the model that we've that we've rolled with that has been developed through the deals that they have in place with bookmakers have changed fundamentally. Those sands have, have shifted fundamentally now and how we've, how we've done our business historically is not a fair reflection. I don't believe of how we're going to be well, how we have to do it going forward. And I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's utopia, but there has to be a transparent pooling system of the industry's media rights.
0: Go on, just flesh that out for me. So everybody must know exactly what money is I being don't received. Everybody needs to know. But what I mean is that we can't be in a situation
1: here where we've got a media rights deal here and a media rights deal here and a media rights deal. That can't be the best way of selling, an, in what, an industry such as ours, that can't be the most cost-effective way of selling a media rights package. The brightest people we've got in the industry need to be looking at that and they need to be pooling all of those rights. We then need to look at the fixture list. Now, racecourses don't like me saying this, but there are too many fixtures. Whichever way you want to look at it, there are too many fixtures. Just look at the sales the last three years. The clearance rates are only going one way. The median values are only going one way. We cannot sustain that fixture list. And that fixture list has been developed over the years in order to maximize our income from bookmakers. Now this isn't an anti-bookmaker thing because ultimately it was the government that decided that fobT machines were gonna be reduced down to two quid, which has f- fundamentally changed their business model as well through bricks and mortar. There's all of the online income that, that's coming and there's, you know, where is racing's digital, digital future? And who's leading that? And where is it? Because at the moment, we don't, we're not having anywhere near enough discussions around that either. If we, if we want, to, if we want, as an industry, to bring in the next generation, we've got to have a digital, a, 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 a truly digital, um, and technological um, look as to, as to how our
0: industry can engage in a much in a much better way. Be more specific about that. What do you mean by more digital, more technologically advanced so, things? just give me some specific yeah, examples. So, 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 so,
1: so, from an owner's
0: perspective. Um, at the moment,
1: because of the way we're, st- we're, we're structured as an industry, we're registered by the BHA, but we're looked after by Weatherby, so the third-party agency for them. You've then got the RCA, who hold most of the contracts from, with the with liaison there, with the, with the, with the race courses. So trying to get owner's data so that you as an owner can turn up on a racecourse and have a seamless experience... Is very difficult. We can give the racecourses all the data in the world about, about the horse, because that's what's being entered. But the owner themselves and how we communicate them, it's very difficult. Now, I'm really pleased to say the ROA are leading on that, and we have that buy in and we have that project underway. And the ROA board have, have 18 months ago um, given us the, well, we've, we've just implemented a brand new database and server in order that we can now work with racecourses directly to facilitate that that's that's a small thing but if we, we're talking about broadening it and trying to get new people in as, as 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 we all as we all need then we we have to start thinking in a way that we haven't thought of, thought about things previously
0: what's the bha's role in bringing parties together does it have a role in facilitating this deal essentially the for me the bha have a have an in, integral role
1: in all of this i think they've they're Two main roles, one is obviously the regula- regulation of, of the sport, and the the second is, is the corporate affairs, if you like, um, piece. And and so yes, I do think that they have an integral role to play in it. Um, I think that they, they they will they will bring some um, objectivity to it, um, and I and I think that taking the sport forward um, with all parties going forward as one will be far more beneficial
0: than 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 putting them in a corner and saying, well you just you just you just look after the regulation. You say they'll bring some objectivity to it. It's an interesting week to, to make mention of that because this is the week and it's been rather lost under the weight of all the publicity surrounding the prize money row that it was announced that the BHA board would be yes. restructured. So we wouldn't have this group of independents that the previous chairman Steve Harman put in. We would have people on the BHA board who were more, quote-unquote, representative of yes. the horsemen and perhaps the racecourses, dare I say it? Yes. So you're actually putting a board in place who are less objective, I would argue, than the completely independent members of the board that Steve Harman put in there in the first place. So how can the BHA bring objectivity if you are putting people with more subjective interests on their board? Well, I think... I think firstly the way in which the
1: board evolved over the last three or four years um took it further and further away from its its participants effectively. And I and and, and there became a level of, of of um of distrust, if you like, that the decisions that they were making were fully understood understood by the BHA board in terms of the impact it was going to have on either stakeholder um can they bring objectivity yes i do believe they can because i don't believe that if you're sitting in internal racing bubble like someone like myself mm-hmm. i sh- i'm not the right person to be on the bha board and i'm delighted i'm not but i do think there are plenty of members our own, roa members who are owners that are very very successful individuals in their, in their own right both in business and owning racehorses that have a very good understanding of the mechanics of how our industry works. I genuinely think that you can bring objectivity by reaching out to those people um, that that bring passion and and have experience in in non-executive roles. I I don't believe you need um, industry stakeholders themselves on, on the BHA board.
0: Now, Charlie, you, you've got a very important job at, at the ROA. I know how committed you are to the sport, and you have a background in the sport. But I'm, I was just looking at your, your biography on the, on the ROA website. Don't worry, this is nothing wrong. <laughs> it's there in black and white. And it says Committees. BHA Executive Committee, BHA Fixtures and Funding Committee, Shadow Racing Authority, Horseman's Group, Great British Racing, British Champions Series, BHA Racing Committee, BHA Public and Corporate Affairs Committee, Thoroughbred Owner Breeder Board, ROA Awards Committee, ROA Race Day Committee, BHA Plus 10 Committees. Um, Do you ever get any time when you're not in a committee meeting and isn't that fundamentally part of the problem with the sport, that we've got far too many bodies, committees, think tanks, working parties, and that there just needs to be a little bit more cohesion? 100%. And this is something that I've, um,
1: I've raised with, with the ROI board. And in fact, we're, we're meeting tomorrow as a board, a strategy, and one of the central themes of that day is how we're going to look next year and how we're going to look in three years' time. Um, I, 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 I absolutely agree. Um, there's, there's a lot going on, undoubtedly, um, and, and there are not enough troops on the ground. Um, but having said that, It's not all negative. I appreciate we're in a week where it has been, you know, a week of turmoil. And I can assure you that our members' anger and frustration has been well um, presented to the race courses and the BHA during the course of this week. But we are a sport that is the second most attended in the country. We have seen record levels of prize money last year. We we do have an owner's experience on the racecourses that, generally speaking, is incre- improving. There's a lot lot more to do. Um, all I can say is that, at the executive level, the kinds of conversations that you, we're talking about this week are being had with Nick Rust um, and and now David, the new chief executive of the RCA, but Andy Clifton, previous to that. Um, These are absolutely on our agenda and it's there's a lot of history that's got to be unraveled, but we also can't make changes because we think changes are really good. We kind of need to know where we're going to be in three years and where we're going to be in five years in order that the structure that we put in place and that we take forward is fit for is fit for where we're going. Until we actually understand from race where we're going to be in three years' time with, with regard to the income for the sport, for which media rights is by far and away the biggest income, it's quite difficult to say,
0: let's put this structure in place. Would you welcome all racecourses publishing full details of their media rights income? I'm not sure that
1: I need to see it that, that way. Through prize money agreements, there is a... Um, that We do get some transparency through that i i I believe that that they should be pulled centrally That's that 's what I think should be happening and I think that the, all of the media rights should be should be held centrally by a, a, a company, a racing company, and then distributed to race courses depending on now that 's going to require huge change and I did use the word utopia, and I completely respect that 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 is not going to happen. Um, overnight, or even the next, the next three years, but we are in a place where there is mistrust, I'm afraid, and we we have to start thinking as to how we are going to how owners, in particular, about by, by horsemen more generally, feel they're getting a fair reward, a fair
0: return for their expense. You say it's utopia; it really is, because you're looking at, for example, um, well, Racecourse Media Group, of which Jockey Club is the biggest shareholder. Mm. The jockey club's you know, commercial responsibilities are completely but at odds I, with those, I, I of, agree, with those of Arc, which is a private company, absolutely. and it's a profit-making company. It's there to make profit, and nobody has any issue with that. Nobody That's has any issue with that. that. How on earth can you then expect a race course group like ARK uh, to cooperate in a media rights deal with, for example, jockey club race courses, and for then a central body to start because deciding maybe how they, that media rights income but, is distributed when they're, when they're two completely different commercial because, entities. Be, because
1: fundamentally, we've got to hand over a sport and an industry in five years' time, in 10 years' time, in 15 years' time. We, don't have, if we, we can't just hand over some race courses. If there's nothing to run on those race courses. And everybody else has jumped on the global racing scene and British racing is a pre-training ground for the global racing scene, we're not gonna look very clever. Now, I'm under no illusion that that model is one that is gonna be easy to facilitate. I I understand that. But I also don't think that we can carry on in the way we're going, where there's no clarity, and there's no true understanding, and horsemen are asked to go to more and more and more fixtures later and later, and now earlier and earlier, with a stable-staff crisis, spending £750 million a year without something materially changing.
0: I hear what you're saying, and I love the idea of of this unity and this money being distributed to a much greater effect for the horseman's benefit. But let's drill down here. How are you going to attain the power to in order to in order to affect that situation how do the horsemen get mm-hmm. the power to be able to well, influence I don't, what I, racecourses I, do? I,
1: again I don't, I don't think it's about the horsemen getting the power I think it's a, it's a, it's a multitude of the racecourses understanding the situation and understanding where fold crops are and understanding where the level of ownership is going um, it's about the BHA Um, using their regulatory function in a way that can look at money being directed to those racecourses that are working more towards the benefit of the greater good. It's a way of racecourses understanding that actually, yes, profit's a good thing. And I've said it. We need a a vibrant racecourse community. They need to make profit in order to to determine prize money. Uh, Now, I think think we're
0: getting to an interesting point I don't
1: believe that... I don't believe that we can't put ourselves in a position where we can at least have those discussions. Right, this is an interesting
0: point. And we point. haven't been in that position. This is an interesting point that you've just raised. The BHA using their regulatory power essentially to favour racecourses that they no, believe... Uh, it's no, it's no, not no, no, no. about favouring. Well, that's what you said. You said the BHA using their regulatory power in order to, you know... You, well, you did essentially... But that's what happened to the fixtures and funding process already.
1: Favour those racecourses they feel are go- if, putting if, back if, into the sport. If you put... So let's use the appearance money scheme. If a race course puts in 900 quid, mm. the levy board contributes further. If you don't, you don't get that levy funding. And we've seen how it's well, straightforward. But we've seen how well that's I, worked this I, week. I, it's And been that, if, if the sports. The but sports that's been a culmination of... An, on, the, uh,
0: on the precipice a, of an abyss. That's a culmination of with, a, this, with this kind of threat hanging That's over. the
1: culmination of a, a number of things. But I think the other thing that's, that, that, that has been very interesting this week is historically an entry would be made on are the race conditions right and is it the right type of track? And now it's... Prize money first. And what's the race value? And then it's race conditions and then it's the racetrack. track. And that's quite an interesting. And I've been saying for a number of years, well, certainly for for two years, that if horsemen don't work with those race courses that are working with them, then they will simply those race courses will simply look at the others and say, Well if if if, if they're not if they're not if they're getting the same number of runners and 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 not paying the same level of prize money, I'll just reduce my prize money too. And they have a point.
0: I want to talk about two examples this week, Pontefract and Kelso. Let's talk about Pontefract first of all. Pontefract has been in the management of the Gundel family now for several decades. Anyone who knows Norman Gundel knows that he is the most passionate man about horse racing that there is. He has worked Mm. so hard and moved heaven and earth to make Pontefract punch above its weight. It was the only racecourse in the 1966-67 levy board cuts that survived because it was removed of levy funding. He is saying that because of what's happening, because of the shop closures, he is going to have to revise his prize money down. No one surely doubts Norman Gundel's commitment to the sport. He's not in it just for his own profit. I'm not saying he's not in it for profit, no, no, he's, no, he's in, um, he a man again, completely this, passionate about the sport.
1: Again, I'm, this isn't a race course who shouldn't make any money. I mean, mm. I couldn't, you know, I've mm. said it enough times, they, they have but to make is, money. But
0: if somebody like him is saying that, that is what they're up against. Oh, now. and
1: I've alluded mm. to earlier, you know, this, we are in the... The headwinds are strong, and, and there's going to be someone after Norman, and and someone else after that as well. Of, of that, I've, I've little little doubt. I mean, we are... We are going to be going through a phase. 2021 being the eye of the storm, and it and and it's it's a slippery slope. It, that that's the reality of the situation. So no, I, I'm not. I think that the wording that Norman used um, has been picked up in the in the press a bit around how well if it's not as bad as we think it is, then we'll we'll put it back in. I think owners would rather it was the other way round. Um, but that's that's that is a fair reflection. I'm afraid of the next next two years, we will see a reduction in the total prize fund available.
0: And the other point about Kelso yesterday, Jonathan Garrett was extremely vociferous in the press saying, we yeah. put all all this money and no Absolutely. one's coming. But my question to you would be, are they actually putting on the right races? You're not going to get more than five or six runners for a conditions level weights chase of that nature, nor are you going to get more than five or six runners for a graded novices hurdle. So... The point is, yes, it's great that they're putting on all this prize money. Yes, it's great that Newton and Abbott are putting on this prize money. Yes, it's great that Musselburgh put on all this prize money, Ludlow Taunton. But isn't it a question of working with the BHA to decide which are the right races to put that put that prize money absolutely. into? Absolutely.
1: And and this is where it goes. by. I think there's, there's there's two things at play. One is absolutely right, which is the race program um, and ensuring that it fits with with the horse population and the, and the needs of the horsemen. Um, there needs to be, the BHA put a lot of work and effort into this and it's very, very difficult to try and ask a race course to move a fixture. Because or they don't have it.
0: control of the fixture Because list. they
1: don't, which goes back to my earlier point about the ownership of the fixture list and the media rights associated with it. So, absolutely, completely agree with you. There have been changes, but not enough changes. Um, the other area that, that I will I will say is, is that the ownership experience also has to match some of the the prize money on offer and um, yes prize money is the most important thing it is that's what the survey of 2016 and all of our work subsequent to that has has proven that that is critical but 44% of owners left british racing because of the race day experience and if racecourses aren't living up to that that, that expectation and it's not all about champagne and chandeliers, it's about the warmth of the welcome that I alluded to earlier just through the data that we share or can't share as the case may be, um, then, then there's, there's going to be problems as well. I absolutely admire the um, aspiration of that particular race day and the money that goes into it. I think one of the other problems we've got is northern jumping and the number of horses in the north And the fact that you had two Grade 1 tracks racing on the same day in the South, which goes back to exactly your point, Nick, of the race fixture
0: list. What, what can we do about the fixture list? This is the point. Everyone knows there's a problem with the fixture list. Everyone knows there's a problem with the racecourses not sharing the same motivations as regards how they uh, sell their media rights. Everybody knows that there's general disharmony and disunity within the sport. But what can you, as the chief executive of the Racehorse Owners Association, as a central plank of the horsemen's so, Group, and, and in conjunction with the BHA, the regulator and yeah. the governor of the sport, do about it? So, so. We're actually in the middle
1: of a lot of these discussions at the moment um, through the fixtures and funding process um, and at executive committee level. Now, what can I do about it? So the ROA put a proposal to the rest of the Horseman's group to take the current situation for 2019, which got accepted by the Horseman's group, and that principle is now with the racecourses, and we're working through that. It does not see a reduction in minimum values okay. because that absolutely... Uh, is not sustainable, and we, we, we simply won't accept a reduction in minimum values. Race values, but not minimum values.
0: Um, but when you say you won't accept it, if yeah. it's there anyway and you don't accept it's, it, can you actually do anything more there. than saying we don't accept it? What do you, what's, your, what's your measure? What's your measure? It's sanction? a tripartite agreement process, and yes, ultimately,
1: the race courses and the BHA can say, no, we will take a... We, we, we think a reduction in minimum values is the right thing to do. That's the way the tripartite structure works. It'll be, it, it's, it's a 2-1 one. One vote. I think it would be very difficult in the current, situa- current circumstances for either the racecourses or the BHA
0: to take that position. But they may well do. And when you've got more horsemen on the BHA board, the likelihood of you getting a 2-1 vote against the Racecourse Association is going to be significantly greater if you want to wield influence in this regard, which presumably is why you want more representative people on the BHA board, so it swings the tripartite balance somewhat in your favour. Yes, but I, I, again, it, 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 it sounds as though that's... Uh, uh,
1: a, a stick to use it it's it's absolute it's absolutely not and the only way that would happen is if it's in the better best interest of the future of British racing okay. um, so again I, I think that the the structure of the BHA board I think um, will see it much
0: closer to its constituents and I don't I personally don't think that's a bad thing you think that'll be well received throughout so just to sum up Charlie before we before we take a break the, the key takeaways here is you are calling for less racing. Absolutely, and we have done
1: for a number of years now. We need a fixture list. Uh, the fixture list has grown and grown off the back of the media rights deals and the number of bookmakers. That, that, that template has, has shifted dramatically now. So we,
0: how much do you need to slice off the bottom of the fixture I,
1: list, roughly? I, what is that number? I don't know. But what we need to do is look at it and say, actually, what fixtures... Uh, so you've got the BHA with a lot of fixtures at the moment. You know, how, how do we manage those? The racecourse-owned the race fixtures are going to be more difficult to um, move or remove from the fixture list, undoubtedly because of the fact that they are owned by the racecourses and, so and they will look for...
0: Essentially, you're advocating a leaner, meaner product. Absolutely. So fewer fixtures, greater unity on the part of the racecourses
1: greater unity on greater clarity from the racecourses around media around media rights, around, around, around media rights and, and where we're going to and where it's going and and how we as horsemen are going to be impacted in that what we don't want is is this um, the current situation we find ourselves in